Welcome to a special interview episode of the Atari XCGS Card by Card podcast. For today's show, David will be interviewing TEP932, a.k.a. Perry, creator of the homebrew Pac-Man Arcade. So grab some power pellets to snack on, because you're in for an amazing show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Atari XCGS Card by Card podcast. This is actually going to be one of our first interview episodes. I have the honor and pleasure today of interviewing one of my homebrew heroes, Perry Tinty. Did I just <laughs> say that you. wrong? That's good. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you, Perry, for taking the time to speak uh, with the podcast today. We really appreciate it, and we are big fans of your work. Well, thanks. Yeah, it, thanks for having me. You know, this is uh, new for me being interviewed, but, you know, it's cool. So if we could just start... I wanted to ask you, how did you get involved with the Atari 8-bit platform? Uh, you know, it's probably like a lot of people. You know, when I was in, for me, it was in high school. It was the early 80s, and uh, I was into into video games. I, you know, I had gone through Pong, and I had a VCS, you know, Atari 2600, and was into computer games and stuff, and and then uh, I didn't. I didn't really know much about computers, though. It was, uh, you know, I hadn't really experienced them. And then I was in a friend of mine. And I was like, "Hey, we've got a computer lab here. You can play games." And I'm like, "What? A computer lab? I didn't know we had one in our school. It was a big school. Anyhow, it was a bunch of uh, TRS-80 Model Ones, and I was like, you know, playing Star Trek and stuff like that on them. And mm-hmm. and then I learned that you can hit the break key and you can like type in basic commands and you could cheat and stuff and and I thought, like, that was awesome. And I was like, I have to get a computer. And, uh, you know, I was, like, figuring I can make my own games. And, you know, I had all these, these uh, fantasies of, like, being a programmer and stuff. So so I got an Atari 400. It was, like, uh, I think I had seen, like, Star Raiders playing on an 800 at, like, a local Magabox dealer. And I was, like, you know, in awe of mm. what that computer could do. So I was, like, I've got to get an Atari computer. And uh, I was able to talk my parents into it. It wasn't easy, though, because they thought I was just going to play games on it. And they're mostly right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mostly played games on it, but um, I also learned to program on it. So I got I had an Atari 400. I had a cassette drive. I didn't have a disk drive. Never did have an Atari drive back then. So I was, you know, I learned basic on it. I learned, uh, tried, I, I actually made like a missile command game in basic. And with a little bit of a semi language thrown in, I had found a found a routine in the magazine that I could uh, do the explosions on the screen with like a, an assembly language program running in the background, and mm-hmm. it was okay. But then I, I realized I wasn't going to get be able to do much unless I learned assembly, and so I got like the assembly editor cartridge, and I studied the sixty five hundred two and learned how to program it and all that, but. Never really did much with it, you know. I think I wasn't, I just didn't have enough experience programming at the time to really be able to do much with assembly language. I, I understood, I understood it, but I couldn't really like put together a whole program with it. But mm-hmm. that was basically, you know, how I got into the Atari computers, and you know, had a lot of fun with it, typing in programs out of magazines and stuff like that. So. Well, yeah, well, we're having a lot of fun playing the games that you produced, so. It obviously it uh, you're you're pretty good at it. Yeah, well, I you know I it was probably like in '09 or so that I I 
I think I ran across, it may have been Atari age or something, and I, and I got this itch. To, I, I actually threw out all my old Atari stuff back at, like, I think it was in college. I, I think I left it on a curb. Kind of pissed now that I did that, but mm. um, I got, decided I had to get an Atari, and I uh, got, I think first thing I did was get another 400, or no, it was 800 XL. And then I, you know, I was hanging out on Atari age, kind of reading it more than anything, and and started getting ideas of doing projects. You know, I got a flash cart for the Atari, and I found games that I couldn't run on it because they, like, needed more RAM. I had to have, like, a 128K, so I started, like, converting those games to run on a, a bank switch cart, and, you know, I just started doing stuff like that, you know, little projects, and started picking it back up again. I had a lot of, I took a lot of programming courses in college. I'm, I, you know, I studied electrical engineering, but I did a lot of, studied a lot of microprocessor type stuff and, you know, took some higher level languages and things. So I think I picked up enough that I could start doing something with the assembly language I had learned you know, years ago. Well, most definitely. I think the 6502, it was a pretty prolific chip for back in the uh, 8-bit days. Yeah, yeah, it was used on a lot. You know, the Apple II. And, uh, I had an Apple II actually. Even after uh, after my four hundred, I got an Apple II and finally had floppy drives. But yeah, it was used on obviously the Atari version of it on the twenty six hundred and all those eight bit Ataris and Commodore sixty four used it. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a popular popular processor. Well, it's a pretty it's a pretty impressive processor if you think about it because it actually lasted for quite some time. Well, I know the VCS came out in 77, but the Atari 400-800 came out around 79. And then, um, you know, with the XC coming out around 87. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that's a long time for, you know, the 6502. I mean, at least, it's, it's at least over 10 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was viable. It was like a viable chip. And it's still viable today because... People are going back, like yourself, going back into these games and they're producing new games for these old machines and pulling things out of that chip that may have, uh, you know, they've learned so much about the 6502 that they can get it to do a lot of things that even the professional programmers back then may have not been able to do with the time they had. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got the luxury of time, though, too. You know, I think That's true. <laughs> if I had to, like, do something as a job, it would probably... I would probably have to cut corners, I would imagine. No. Well, yeah, that's the big thing. It's time. Uh, yeah. You know, when you're doing this as a as like a hobby, it, you have and you have all this time. You don't have all these deadlines and things like that to worry about. You can really uh, max out a lot of the um, possibilities of the hardware. So yeah, it's it's so much easier too. I think with the you know doing like doing it on PC based, you know, using emulators to debug it, and I think it's you know I think the software and hardware you have today is makes a lot I mean I can assemble my code in like it takes a second, you know. I whereas in the past you probably had to wait a while for it to actually happen and mm -hmm. then you had to load it into hardware and, and you know now we just do everything and we can do it well we can do a lot in emulation, you know, we still have to test on hardware, but you know, the tools make it a lot easier today too. Now I wanna ask you, when you started with the idea to do Pac Man Arcade what were your goals for the game? Uh, what did you envision the game turning out as? Well, you know, I, I really just wanted a more accurate version, you know, more like the arcade. And that's, 
you know, any of the projects I did, I was just basically, I, I, it was for a game I liked, and I saw, and I thought it was not as good as it could be, and I thought, boy, I'd sure like to have a better version, so I'm like, I'll just do it myself, you know, and, you know, Pac-Man Arcade really was a, kind of a multi-phase thing. It started out, I was, I had, I bought a 7800 after I got the 800XL, and I was playing around with uh, Pac-Man Collection, you know, the uh, Pac-Man Plus, you know, Bob D. Crescento, uh, you know, Great game, brilliant game you did there, and the you know, convert version of Pac-Man, and but it still had the you know 2600 sound, and it, 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 I mean it was pretty good, but I thought you know it could be a lot better if we use the Pokey, so I figured I would do a project where I would take that and I'd put Pokey sound in it, and I I actually grab I did it with Miss Pac-Man, I actually grabbed that code out, the sound code out of it, and. I had asked Bob if it was okay to do that, and he was like, sure, go ahead and do it. He even gave me his source code. Have an easier time implementing the sound. I had actually done it before I asked him, but, you know, with the, I disassembled his code, and <laughs> I figured, you know what, if I'm going to post this, I should ask him first. So I asked him, and, and yeah, so I, I created the, the, I did the sound kind of first, you know, and I, then I added the Pac-Man sound to that, you know, so I had, you know, we had Pac-Man collection on 7800 running with Pokey versions for both the Pac-Man and this Pac-Man. And, you know, playing Pac-Man on 800, I thought, you know, I would really need a better version for this. So that's kind of what, when I decided to do uh, Pac-Man Arcade for the now, 800. What did you see in the 8-bit Pac-Man that we all are familiar with playing on the 8-bit computers and on the Atari 5200, what did you see as like sort of like fundamental deficiencies or things that right off the bat that needed to be uh, worked on to make it more of an arcade perfect port? So obviously sound was one. Yeah, sound, you know, there's the sound. Although, you know, on the 8-bit versions, they weren't too bad, but they weren't, you know, when I started getting into the sound, I realized that a lot of their side sound effects, when I started comparing them to the arcade version, they weren't really that close. They, they were good, they sounded good, but they weren't, they were different from the arcade. So I was making that more accurate, more faithful to the arcade. But, you know, things like the maze, you know, it's always seemed like it was stretched too wide for me, you know, mm -hmm. and the speeds were all off. It starts out really slow, you know, and the, it doesn't really match up well with the arcade in terms of the speed of the ghost and Pac-Man. You know, just the, the logic for the ghost wasn't the same. I could tell that, things like that. There's certain tunnels that they won't go up, you know, in, in the arcade version, and they would do that in the 8-bit version. And at least with one of them, I don't remember if it's, I think they may have done it right on one of the machines, either the 5200 or the 800. But, you know, things like that, those types of details, I, I basically wanted to just correct all that. And, and then the ghost eyes, you know, I wanted to have the ghost look more... You know, like the arcade, so... Definitely putting, actually, eyeballs on the ghosts <laughs> made them much more animated and, and, and alive-looking for a ghost, let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, and even, like, the shape of Pac-Man, it wasn't really very round, you know, just just in general improvements to the graphics and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I did notice, uh, Perry, when I was doing a review for Pac-Man Arcade back when I was on the Atari 5200 podcast, and I remember, actually playing the game side by side and one of the things I had said in my review was I could definitely notice that the speed of the game and even the speed of the sound 
was faster in in your Pac-Man arcade versus the 1982 Pac-Man from Atari. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yes, yeah, so I definitely saw that was one of the first things I was able to see like a big difference on. Yeah, you know, I, I use there's this website out there, this page out there. It's called Pac-Man Dossier, and it's pretty much documents all the details of the of the game. You know, the the behavior of the ghost. You know, the speeds for every level. You know, how fast is Pac-Man versus the ghost, and what are the durations for like the the fruit, and you know, when they switch between uh, uh, scatter mode and and chase mode, that type of stuff, and so I, I just basically tried to make everything as, as accurate as possible in terms of like the speeds. Like even when when Pac-Man goes around corners, he, he actually shortcuts it a little bit, so you can actually separate yourself from the ghosts a little bit if they're chasing you. And as you go around the corner, at least you know they won't catch you as quickly. <laughs> Gives you a little bit of, of space. So I you know things details like that. I tried to make sure everything was in there that I could think of. The only thing I really couldn't do because well. Maybe I could have, but I didn't. Was to try to make it more the the shape of the the arcade game, you know. But that was one of the areas where I was, you know, I I deviated just because it was going to be a it, it would have been a lot more work to try because I was basically starting with an existing game, you know, and, you know, Miss Pac-Man, and uh, it would have been a lot of work to try to make the the maze exactly the same, you know, aspect ratio as the arcade version but other than that i think i did i think i got pretty much everything well let's put it to you this way we go from basically a, a screen that fills up uh, a regular television uh aspect ratio which i think is four to three which is sort of like a like a rectangle uh on its side and uh you at least made it into a square <laughs> yeah. right so you yeah. at least made it into a yeah. square now, of course, you know, it, in the actual Pac-Man on, in the arcade, it would have been uh, more of a rectangle and it would have been taller than it mm-hmm. is wider. But yeah. but still, I mean, it is an accomplishment in itself to have uh, at least got the proportions to a square, which at least makes it resemble at least more the arcade than that it did originally. So I have to give you kudos for that for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't like that the, some of the tunnels, like especially the very bottom one, it was so long. It seemed to me like it was easier to get trapped by a ghost. Anytime you're in a long tunnel, it's going to be easier to get trapped, and I, I didn't like that. You know, mm. I think in the arcade, maybe there's some tunnels going up and down that are a little bit longer than in my version, but I didn't like that they were. It was so wide. It, I think it altered. It kind of changed the game. You can't, you know, the feel of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, so other than uh, the aspect ratio, which as we just spoke to, that we got it down to a square versus that huge rectangle that Atari gave us, is there anything else in pa- your Pac-Man arcade that you would have wished you had been able to do, but you couldn't or wasn't able to do? Yeah, you know, I think it was pretty much that. I mean, what little minor things like, you know, the... Um, that when you go to the different levels, it, it shows which fruit level you're on. But in the arcade, it like has a whole row of fruit along the bottom. Mm-hmm. As you progress the levels, I didn't do that. It wasn't at the time. I guess I didn't. You know, it's, it's probably something I could have done. I could probably do it. But I again, it was something where I didn't think there was going to be a whole lot of benefit from doing that. You know, when you, 
just because of the colors. You know, you have to have, you know, I can only have so many colors in the horizontal line, and, you know, they have all the different fruit colors in there. I, maybe I could have done it if I combined, like, character graphics and, you know, player whistle graphics and, you know, got creative that way. I probably could have done it, but, um, well, again, it would, have been, it would have been a lot more modifications of the code than I wanted to do, you know, mm -hmm. so. Well, that's 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 one little little thing that I I wish I had done, but I didn't. Well, honestly, to tell you the truth, in my opinion, it's amazing what you've been able to do with it, and the fact that you have put this together for us, but even put out the um, the ROM image of the uh, of your work, so that people, if they have an Atari Max card or some kind of flash storage or something like that solution, which they can use the ROM, uh, people can still get to play this. They have the setup to do it for free. So the fact that uh, you were able to do this for the community and that it really free, pretty much, just all you know, all your free time and labor, I think uh, I'm, I'm astoundedly happy at uh, what you've produced. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, I, wanna, I want people to play it. You know, I, I primarily do stuff for myself, but I want people to be able to, if they like it, you know, sure. I want you to be able to play it. I, you know, I've had the... I think I put the ROM out fairly recently, and hasn't. I had like a demo version of the ROM, but then I had the, I had the EXE out there the whole time, so people could always play it. You know, the EXE version of mm -hmm. it, you know, or XEX or whatever. Sure. Um, you know, so yeah, I want people to be able to play the games, and you know. Yeah. Well, definitely, we are. What I wanted to ask is, my understanding is that Pac-Man Arcade is a hack of Atari's. Uh, 1983 Miss Pac-Man and is there a reason why you chose that route versus hacking Atari's original Pac-Man code from scratch? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I considered when I started that, I considered using the Pac-Man version I just thought, well, it's Pac-Man, so it should be easier if I start with this than trying to convert Miss Pac-Man, but, you know, when I started looking into it, it was I, th I thought Miss Pac-Man had a lot more of the things that I wanted in the game, you know, like at the whole ghost eye thing, you know, it had that pretty much done right, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, Miss Pac-Man was a pretty good conversion of the arcade, and uh, I just thought it would be a good, a better starting point. Plus, I, you know, the sound, all the sound code I had done earlier for Pac-Man Collection, I had originally pulled that sound code out of Miss Pac-Man, so it would be really easy to put my updated sounds into the game. You know, mm -hmm. it was already set up for that. You know, the sound code was done a lot differently in Pac-Man. It was all kind of hard-coded. It wasn't like tables of, like, sound parameters. It was a bunch of code that was just written to modify the frequencies and stuff in a certain in a certain way. So it was, you know, I just thought it was a better starting point. It turned out to actually be a really good decision because a lot of the 7800 games, the source code was, was kind of, I guess it was saved by, you know, Kurt Vendel. He had apparently found the source code and all the, you know, all the Atari stuff he had pulled out of dumpsters or wherever he got the stuff, you know. And he had Miss Pac-Man's source code for the Atari 7800. So I was looking at that and I, and I was realizing that there's actually a lot of code that is virtually identical in the 7800 version and the the... Atari 800 version of Miss Pac-Man. Almost, I, I think they probably, I guess Miss Pac-Man for the 800 would have come out first, but I'm pretty sure they start use that as a starting point for the 7800 because it's, I mean, it's like the variables are all in the exact same locations in the same order, and it's just, you know, line for, there are sections where line for line it's identical. So I actually was able to use that source code for the 7800 to 
reverse engineer the 800 version of Miss Pac-Man. So it made it a lot easier for me because I was able to like the animation routines and things like that that were used for the intermissions. Oh, that was that was kind of the other thing that was lacking that I wanted to have in that. I'm talking earlier about things that they and all the intermissions I added those. Mm-hmm. to the game but you know all that code was virtually the same and that 7800 source code that was you know all documented so I was it made it a lot easier you know it was just I guess dumb luck <laughs> I was able to find that connection between those you know the 7800 version and the 100 version so well you know it's kind of fitting anyway because if I'm if I if my memory is correct uh, Miss Pac-Man was a hack of Pac-Man, wasn't it? Yeah, the arcade. Yeah, it was. That's right. So you've gone from, uh, instead of hacking Pac-Man to become Miss Pac-Man, you've hacked Miss Pac-Man to become Pac-Man. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the arcade, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, I wanted to ask you, what are the differences in Pac-Man Arcade uh, for the, the Atari 8-bit versus the Atari 5200 uh, system? Like, I do know because I owned both of them, that uh, the Atari 8-bit version, it will save your high score, while in the Atari 5200 version, it doesn't. So other than that, are there any other differences between those two? There's not a lot. You know, the, the I did the 5200 version after the 800 version, and it's pretty easy to port stuff over, you know, because the machines all use the, they use the same, you know, microprocessor, the same graphics chips, things are arranged a little bit differently in memory, you know, the locations of things, but for the most part, it's pretty straightforward to do a conversion like that. So, you know, I, I, they're pretty much the same game. The, like I said, the, I don't say the high score on the 5200 version. I, that was something I added to the 800 version because I was using the, the Atari Max card, a flash-based card, so I was able to, you know, save the save the high score and so i added that feature to it um 5200 was just you know when i i wasn't gonna i don't i don't know if there's any i suppose if i made a you know i guess to make it just a regular rom card i i, I was kind of forced to just stick with roms and i, I didn't really have sure. i don't know if there's any carts out there that had flashable memory or something i could use for saving high scores other than you know multi-card the multi-cards that are out there but Here's a bit of a technical question, sort of, from me coming a completely ignorant novice. I just wanted to ask you, uh, when we're talking about the difference between the hardware, between an Atari 8-bit computer versus the Atari 5200 console, um, obviously, uh, my understanding is an Atari 8-bit, uh, the 800 or the, or the XL or even the XC, not we're not talking about the 130, but the 65, it maxes out at uh, 64K memory. And my understanding is the Atari 5200 has about 16K of memory? That's correct. The brand, yeah. Yeah. So does that provide a, uh, a different kind of challenge when you're doing a game like this on the Atari 8-bit versus the Atari 5200? It didn't for this game because the, you know, the original Miss Pac-Man was designed to run on, I think it was on 16, for 16K machines or, I'm trying to remember my 400, I think my 400 was 16K. So I think they were 16K at the time. And it ran on a, so it ran on a 400 with 16K of RAM. It's really how much, in the changes I did, I added ROM space, you know, I needed storage for the splash screen and I added code to do the the animated kind of men, the menu screen, you know, the the animation where the where Pac-Man eats the 
energizer and then goes back and eats the ghost. You know that that stuff I added and it that increased the ROM space, but the the you know the game didn't really require any more RAM to do that. So the 5200 had enough RAM to run it. I didn't have any problems with that. Plus, I think the 5200 has well, I, it was a 32k ROM, so the computers kind of had this 16k range of area of ROM that you're limited to. So if you want to have more a larger game that you know that takes more ROM than 16k, you have to bank switch it. And uh, and that's what I do with the Atari Max card. So I load in, I load the game into the RAM that's that's in that space, and then I bank switch the the rest of the code. Um, but then in, in the 5200, I was able to fit all the code into that 32k RAM space. So very I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, it does. It does. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Perry, I wanted to ask you, uh, as we are trying to, as you were trying to, at least to the most what you could replicate a Pac-Man Arcade experience at home with your version of Pac-Man Arcade. Can you tell me when people play the game in the old coin-up arcade, uh, can they use the same patterns and tricks that they did back then on your version of Pac-Man Arcade? Uh, you know, it doesn't, the patterns don't work. I, I've tried and it, I know they don't and I, and I think the reason really is because it's not the same aspect ratio as the arcade, the it affects you know where you know the the path that the ghosts take when they when they chase you because they, you know the, the way the logic works that they every time they hit an intersection they decide are they going to turn are they going to go straight, and it's based on the distance they are from you you know maybe what direction you're pointing there's there's a bunch of different things that it looks at and that and the aspect ratio I think changes that to the point where they don't necessarily take the same paths. Um, also, I don't. I don't even have. You know, I don't have as many dots in my maze as the arcade does because it's it's shorter. I, I think width wise, I think I have the same number of dots. Well, I may have, actually, I may have made the made it a little bit wider. Um, I actually have more dots horizontally, but I don't have as many vertically. So I think it's really the the ratio of the screen that that causes it. You know, the the, the AI, the logic for the ghosts chasing you is all the same, but. You know the timing of things, the speeds are all the same, but I think it's really just the the screen ratio, the you know aspect ratio that results in it not being able to you know map, you know use the same patterns that you'd use in the arcade. But you could use patterns if you could come up with new ones. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. It's, it's the same. You know, there's no randomness to the game. You know, if you come up with a pattern that works, that pattern will always work. So. Well, you know what? That's what I was going to say. Well. Even though it's not, it doesn't completely replicate due to the different aspect ratio of the maze, um, the exact experience when it comes to patterns and things. Uh, well, you still get a Pac-Man arcade feel and experience, and in a way, it's a new game also where you can, as you said, you can come up with new patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, at, yeah. so, at, so at least you're having you're having an old and a new experience at the same time. You've got enough of the old. And then you got the new, so it's actually refreshing. Yeah, yeah, I I, I enjoy playing it. You know, it's, sometimes when you work on a game, you get a little tired of it because you play it so much when you're developing it. But I, I still enjoy playing the game. And, yeah, we. You know, it feels it feels like the arcade game to me. You know, we get that we get that same feeling when we edit our podcasts. <laughs> By the time we finish editing our podcast, we've heard that thing so many times that we're sick of it ourselves. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I understand that feeling. 
some of, some of our listeners would like to know, uh, Perry, what tools did you use to build Pac-Man Arcade? Well, I, you know, there was a, a number of tools. I used the, um, one of them was a, a DIS-6502, that's a disassembler. So I used that to disassemble the code. I used MADS for assembly, and it's a fairly popular assembler. Um, for sound development, I didn't, I didn't use any real, really like sound tools. I used things that I had, like, so when I was doing the sound for like Pac-Man, I was, I was recreating these sounds. I didn't, I didn't like pull them out of any existing game. So I had to analyze the sound of the arcade machine. So I, I've got a couple, some tools I have access to at work that like I can, uh, Stuff we use for data analysis. I can plot the time, you know, plot the sound in the time domain, or I can plot it. I can do FFTs and Fourier transforms and, and plot it in the frequency domain, and I can kind of analyze and see what frequency is it is, see what kind of waveforms they are. are they is it a triangle wave or a sinusoid, and and then I I would um, basically just try to recreate it. I think I use spreadsheets a lot to. <laughs> to uh, kind of create the sound patterns and, and plot them and, and, and design them. And then I would test them just using, you know, I'd write some code, I had some sound code that I, test code that I wrote to, to kind of test them out and see how they sounded. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of like a lot of spreadsheets and some tools that are, that I had ha handy for, for looking at the sound. Um, I don't know. No one else, you know, I, I, there was probably something I used for the graphics. I don't recall what it was. It was some kind of graphics, you know, bitmap editor of some sort. So, um, but those are, that's, I guess that's, that's probably all the tools I used, you know. I oh, I think it, you know, it might have been Tile Molester even. Maybe that used that. But, so that, that was it, you know. Okay. Um, I would just like to know how long did the project take from when you started to when you actually uh, were able to first release the game? How long was this process? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly. I know I, I worked on the 5200 in 2000. I know that was in 2012. I must have been working on the 800 version in 2011. I don't remember if that's when I released it. I, you know, if I don't include like the sound, the sound work I did for for Pac-Man. Or Pac-Man collection was. I probably spent six months or so doing that, and it was something that, you know all this stuff I just do in my spare time. I don't know. I probably spent it's probably a year or so. I, I would guess that I spent just working on it, you know, here and there, and sure, um, and something like that. I, I don't. I don't remember. So do you remember? Time. Do you remember what year it came out? It would have been either late 2011 or early 2012. Okay. That I, I offered it up for sale. You know, I, I put a posted it on Atari Age. I, I actually, you know, when I was developing it, I had a, a thread going. A lot of I had a lot of feedback from people on the game, and, mm -hmm. and then after when I felt like it was complete, I posted it and figured out if there was interest in buying cartridges, and a lot of people were interested. So I I started selling them in batches. Sure. The time. And just currently, uh, you just. Uh, I think you just about to complete uh, a pre-order for a batch. 
Yeah, I actually got the boxes sitting on my table right now, waiting to go out. <laughs> I had uh, enough people, you know. I, you know, they're Atari Max cards, so I have to, you know, I, I don't want to just buy them onesie twosies. So, uh, it seems like enough people. It's been a while since I've sold any, and enough people have been asking about it. So I figured I would, you know, if I could get ten orders, I would go ahead and, and order a batch. And I think I've got about fifteen. So uh, yeah, I've got about fifteen cards. I'm about ready to ship out to people. Well, Perry, since we're going to be reviewing your game in the episode four of the uh, podcast, uh, maybe that will stimulate some more uh, um, interest on your game. You may be selling a little bit more in the future. Yeah, you never know. Another question that we wanted to ask was, the game itself, from the beginning to the end, was it completely a sole effort? Or was other people involved? Uh, if they were, how did they contribute? Yeah, I, d I, definitely, had, I definitely had help. Um... You know, like the the like the high score saving part of it. Uh, Steve Tucker, he's the he's the owner of Atari Max, and he had some. I'd asked him about how to how to write to the cart, and he had actually had some code for doing it. He sent me the code, and I was able to use that to to do the routines that uh, that save the high score cart. I had a ton of help from uh, Mr. Fish on Atari Age. Paul is his name. Um, he did he did like the splash screen, you know, that it starts up with. He, he uh, did a lot of the graphics on it. You know, the all the redrew all the fruit, the you know the uh, Pac-Man, the fonts, the the ghosts, and all that kind of stuff. He he did most of the graphics, so had a had a ton of help from him. Um, you know, just in general, a lot of help from the Atari Age community. You know, I was posting the game and letting people, you know, try it out and, and getting their feedback. So I got a lot of, a lot of feedback on the, you know, when I was doing the sounds and whether things were really sounded right or not and helping with debugging, you know, people found bugs and stuff. They would, uh, you know, so I just, in general, from the community, I got a lot of help on it. Well, it was... Well, it's obviously it's a group effort that really paid off, and I have uh, communicated on Atari Age once in a while with Mr. Fish, and he is a very nice and helpful uh, person. So, yeah, yeah, he's he's uh, he's done. Uh, he even sent me some. He noticed that my the scores that are that it shows when you like eat the the ghost that has like a slanted. You know, it's like uh, what are the scores? Two thousand, four thousand, eight thousand. Um, or no, 200, I mean, 200, 400, 800, 1600. Mm -hmm. um, there are, and also for the fruit, you know, uh, they're, they're like angled, and that's that's the way they were done on, on Miss Pac-Man, and I just carried it over, but he thought he could make them, they're horizontal in the arcade game, and he thought he could make them look, you know, do horizontal versions that looked good, and I actually, I actually implemented that on the cards I'm sending out now, um, have a little, they're a little bit different than the ones I originally sold. Um, they've got the the scores are were redone. They were up, upgraded by Mr. Fish. So, so Perry, the game that right now people are purchasing from you, that version, uh, is that an updated version from the last version? It's the it, it's an updated version from the one I originally sold. The, the one I have in the thread right now on Atari Age mm. is this latest version. So it's it's the latest and greatest. Um, you know, if people that they can these carts are reprogrammable. If people want to reprogram their carts, mm. 
Mm-hmm. They can do that. They just need to have the right. Either they have to have a programmer, or they have to um, have like an SIO to PC device sure. of some sort. You know, something that they can transfer the file to the computer sure. and program it in the in the machine. Um, yes. But but yeah, it's it's a little bit. You know, there's some minor updates like that. I. I I had a few people comment that the high score got corrupted, and I couldn't ever recreate it. But I, I was guessing that maybe they some it, it it saves it right at the end of the game, but it takes a little. It's that instant, and it's possible you could hit reset or shut it off or do something while it's writing, and cause it to get corrupted. So I, I added like a little warning that flashes at the it says like saving high score. At the top of the screen, uh, to let people know that it's you know, so they see that and they think, oh, that's saving. I'm not going to shut off the computer. At least I hope it helps with that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a little, couple little things like that I did. Nothing, nothing that would really affect the gameplay or anything. Sure. Know? Well, I definitely because I do have an Atari Max programmer. I remember you actually gave me a step-by-step guide on how to do it, and I was able to. Uh, update the original Pac-Man Arcade that I had bought from you back uh, in back when and uh, updated to the latest version. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's not as hard. It's not that hard. So if yeah. I can do it, other people can do it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's not too hard. No. If people need help, they can always sure. PM me or something. I'll, I'll help them out. Sure. Now, um, are there any other projects that you're presently working on or planning for the future that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'm, uh, I've got, there's a number of projects that I want to do and I just, it's a matter of time, you know, when do I have time to do them? Um, I've, I've actually started working on an upgrade of Dig Dug. Um, a little, I've been, something I've wanted to do for a while and I haven't really had the time to do it and I'm starting to put more time into it and and I've got some of the guys that were helping me with that helped me with uh, Donkey Kong Excel. They, um, Marco with you know, Defender Twenty Six Hundred and uh, Trevor, who's Robert. Um, he, they, they're they're kind of my like my Marco's my graphics guy. He does does all the graphics work, and Trevor is the guy that's like digs into every detail of how the game works and and tells me everything that needs to be modified or changed to make it arcade accurate, you know. He does a lot of playtesting and stuff, too. So I've got those guys helping me out, and we're working. We're, we're starting to make some progress on it. You know, I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to do update the sound, uh, take advantage of the Yamaha chip and the XM, so when that thing is released, and it will be, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, will, uh, it will have uh, really nice sound. Um, I think I can keep the old TIA sound in as well, so it would, you know, work either way. I think I'm going to do that. Uh, we're going to update the graphics, and you know, my goal is to make it as arcade accurate as possible. And even like I, I think I've seen there's some like patterns you can use in Dig Dug, mm-hmm. um, and I want I really want those to work in the 7800 version. Oh, this is a 7800 game. Okay, I'm talking about. Um, so I'm, that's that's one I'm currently working on. You know, there's a few other things I want to do. Uh, I had, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Castle Crisis. You know, it's a Warlords clone. Uh, Brian Edward did. 
Um, I think he did it for the he did it for the eight hundred and um, fifty two hundred. I think. Yes. Yeah, both. And uh, definitely, they're really, on. really well done game. Great, great version of of it's like arcade. Well, I don't know if it's arcade. It looks arcade perfect to me. You know, it's mm-hmm. it probably is. Uh, it's really well done. Anyhow, he he was like asking me, "Is this something you would want to do on the Sega 800?" I'm like, "Yeah, maybe." So he like gave me a source code, and so now I'm going to have to do uh, Warlords on the 7800 at some point. So you know, I think the graphics will shouldn't be too difficult to make them. You know, can't translate them over to the 7800. Well, at least one thing you know right now from this interview. You've got one pre-order of uh, Dig Dug Arcade, yeah, <laughs> and you've got one pre-order of uh, Castle Crisis for, or Warlords for the 7800. So, okay, cool. I appreciate that. No problem. No problem. Okay, so here's one question I want to ask: What is the major differences between the 8-bit and the 7800? Because uh, just how you were able to take the code from the 7800 and somehow use that to make your game for the 8-bit. When you compare it, uh, the 800 uh, to the 7800, what uh, does the 7800, how much more powerful is it? How, how much different is it? It's, you know, it's, it's, the, same, you know, it's the same processor, and they, they weren't even runs at the same speed you know, between the 800 and the 7800, but the... It's really the graphic strip is the is the big difference, right? It's the mm. the the graphic strip. It's it's really it's a it's a it's a lot different, I think, but it's it has a lot of similarities in the same at the same time. You know, they it uses display list. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners are, but um, you know, it, it's very similar in that way, but it's. It's just able to put more. It's it's able to put more colors on the screen without doing tricks. I mean, you can put a lot of colors on an 800, but you have to do a lot of tricks, you know, to do that. Um, the it's got, you know, more color palettes. It's got it has like eight eight three color palettes that you can utilize, and you can you can have all of them on the same line if you wanted. Um, the you know it can it can basically put a ton of sprites on the screen. Uh, it's it's limited on how many you can put per horizontal line, but it can still do a lot more than 800. So that's kind of where that, you know, it, it's, it doesn't do like bitmap graphics like you would with an 800 where you can have a, like an 8K of RAM that's, that you, you write to, to draw the screen. It's, it's different. It works. It's, it's more like a, it, it kind of is similar in a way to tiles, you know, you, you build up your, Background with with a bunch of characters like in a character like a character mode on the 800, um, but then you can have these these sprites overlapping those characters, and you know the sprites can be pretty wide. They're they're wider than you know you're kind of limited if you use players. You know the player missile graphics they're they're eight bits wide, in a single color, but they're each each one is like three colors on the, um, well three colors plus the background on the. Uh, 7800 and they they can be made much wider than than the eight, eight pixels you know it can be uh, I'm not sure how, how wide but you can you can combine them you can you can put enough of them on the screen and you can make some pretty large characters so it's you know the graphics is really they're they're a lot more advanced on the 7800 it doesn't have more resolution you know it's the same resolution as uh, 
as a you know Atari 800. Although the in the high res mode, you can do multicolored graphics that, that aren't as easy to do on, on the 800. Um, and you know the the sound that you know people give the TI TIA sound TIA sound a hard time, but you can actually do a lot of you can do some good sound with it. You know, it's it's not really great for music because it doesn't you can't do as many you know. It doesn't have the accuracy to, to, you know, it tends to be out of tune. But, you know, for sound effects and even, you can do some pretty good music with it if you if you take the time to do it and you, you throw enough, you know, CPU at it, you can, and it does, you know, it, the CPU runs faster on a 7800 than, say, a 2600. And the 2600 is, I think it's, I think it's 1 megahertz. And the 800, 7800 is like 1.7 eight megahertz or something like that but yeah 1.79 oh 79 okay but uh uh-huh. anyhow you know if you listen to some of those there's like a donkey kong uh, a couple different donkey kongs people have been working on for the 2600 they actually sound pretty good and even the you know the pac-man collection on the 7800 the sound wasn't all that bad with the tia so i, I think i think people probably criticize it more than it deserves but I think people, it seems like the 7800 games, they didn't really put much effort into the sound. I mean, like Donkey Kong, that was one of the reasons I did Donkey Kong, because the sound would like, you have to turn it off, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just really bad. <laughs> I don't know if you've mm-hmm. played 7800 Donkey Kong much, but the sounds are just nasty on it. And uh, that was like the whole you know, reason I did that game. But... Um, you can, you know, there seems to be like a lot of games that have bad sound on the City 100, and they probably shouldn't, you know, I think they could have been done better. Well, definitely because I've bought games, well, I've tried games like uh, the one that's currently in uh, development for the 2600, which would be called Donkey Kong VCS. Yeah, yeah. And I have, I do have Pac-Man Collection for the Atari 7800. And um, I do know that particular uh, homebrew games, uh, if they have the time, uh, they can really pull a lot of a really good sound out of that Tia chip. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely got some. It's it can can be good, you know. It's, it's yeah. also limited to two channels, so you you can do you know more channels with uh, Pokemon. Sure. There's some advantages to doing that. But. Like even I'm playing uh, for the 2600. Uh, not too long ago, came out the homebrew of Star Castle. Oh yeah, yeah. That, it, I haven't played that. It looks really good though. It does. It does play and look really good, and it's got a good uh, sound sound to me. A uh, good beat to it, and um, so yeah. So you know, you it's a chip that's got respectful uh, possibilities. You just have to. You know, take the time to work with it. Yeah, yeah. It takes it just takes a little more effort, I think. Definitely, especially with music. Of course. Hey, that's it. You're awesome. Well, thank you. We hope you enjoyed the special interview episode of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. We'll be back soon with our next show, where we'll fill your pockets with imaginary quarters by reviewing some arcade classics like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man Arcade. Also, our UK pal Kieran is with us live, and once again, he's brought with him two more budget games the top-down space shooter Warhawk, and we'll see if we can hit a bullseye with a dark game 180. Until then, keep playing.